welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, as usual, and joining me from our Seattle Tacoma studio is my regular co-host, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, we're, we're a little late today, but that's daylight savings time, so it's perfectly acceptable. Yeah, you know, I always sleep through daylight savings time. I had a good idea. Maybe next time I'm going to go that exact hour and go and fix something in my house so I don't have to waste an hour doing it later. We should record the podcast next. Well, I guess it would get lost in time. This FaceTime continues. That's right. It would just be gone. All right. So let's get into uh, our, our BP segment today. Tonight, Today's episode is one of everybody's favorite. It's a Tales from the Dugout where we're going to just do a couple of shorter stories rather than a whole one. This is Tales from the Dugout. I believe this is number 21 that we've done Tales from the Dugout. That's a lot of... A lot of tales, but we've got some good shorter stories coming up later today. But Mark, we got to talk some World Series. The season is officially over now. It's in the can. It's gone. Who knows when we'll have baseball again because of the impending <laughs> probable lockout that we have in a month or so. But let's talk a little bit about this World Series that we just finished uh, finished watching before we get into too much more. Hammers, of course. Came away. They they beat the evil empire. Duh, I guess because the Yankees are the real e- evil empire. Uh, they beat the Astros. Now, how can you tell that a city and a team is not used to winning championships? You might ask me. Well, I can tell you this: it's because the bus is carrying the players through the town uh, during the parade on Friday last Friday, so they could wave to everybody. Did you see any video of these buses? I I haven't. Well, they were traveling at 30 to 40 miles per hour like they were. <laughs> I, I could not believe how fast they were going. I One of my friends posted some video and he had his son with the buses in the background and they were in and out of frame so quickly. I was like, what is there a car chase? What's going on? But my goodness, they were flying through the streets of Atlanta. <laughs> it's been a while since they've had one yeah, of those. I mean, I hope people were wearing seatbelts in those buses because that was dangerous. <laughs> That's just crazy. It's, I'm sorry. I'm laughing here because I, I can't imagine. Watch some video because it is really pretty funny when you see how fast they're going. A couple of other things from the World Series. Did you see this? That Jock Peterson had a big time emergency before game six. Yes, I did see that. Oh, my goodness. So his strand of pearls that he's been wearing throughout the playoffs, I think he was wearing it during the end of the regular season as well, broke. And he was going to have to go into game six without any any of his lucky pearls. But his jeweler flew in, I'm assuming on Jock's dime with a replacement string. Everything ended up okay. I'm assuming it made it through the celebration as well on the field and in the clubhouse, but that could have been a a big time disaster for Jock Peterson. Tragic. Could have been tragic. Remember when that happened to Mickey Mantle in the 62 World Series? Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. He had to to have a new string of pearls flown in for the Mick. That's that's right. Mick Mick loved his uh, freshwater pearls, I'll tell you what. Yeah, he was more of a saltwater guy from what I read, but still, nonetheless... That's that's actually part of the myth of baseball. It was freshwater. Oh, me. okay. There you go. 
Uh, Jose Altuve hit five home runs this postseason. We've talked about this throughout the last month. That brings his career postseason total to 23, closing in on that 29 by Manny Ramirez, which is the record. Hopefully, though, this has been the last of Jose Altuve's postseasons for the rest of his career. I'm saying it. Well, you know, I have to disagree with you, Jeff. I'm the guy, the one guy outside of Texas who pulled for the Astros. And, uh, hey, congratulations to the Braves. They deserve it. They won it. They outplayed everybody. I'm sorry, the uh, Hammers. Yeah, that's a fine right there. <laughs> it ended up being, uh, you know, they just they, they got hot at the right time, and they just outplayed everyone. Yeah, for a team, I mean, again, the, the goal here, just like the NHL, is to make the playoffs. Once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. I mean, who saw the Red Sox coming back from being down three games to the Yankees? Who saw an 88-win Hammers team being able to, you know, defeat the Dodgers and the Astros? It's it's just a matter of getting in the playoffs and, and playing well, which they really did. Yeah, I would like to have seen a gun seven, but I don't ever get anything I want. Oh, yes, poor guy. His team did win a World Series, quote-unquote, <laughs> asterisk. Well, just yeah, a that was a fun ago. one. Yeah. A couple of other things before we get too far along here. The uh, Nippon Ham Fighters have a new manager. Now, I know that they are your favorite Japanese baseball team. Absolutely. Did you see who their new manager is? I didn't. Please, please tell me. It is Shioshi Shinju, which that name should probably ring a, a few bells for, for listeners of our show. He played three years in the big leagues here. I remember him with the Mets, so he came up with the Mets or came into the league with the Mets in 2001. And I was in Atlanta then. I remember him. Huge contingency of press following him around. Then 2002, he went to the other coast, to the Giants. And then he finished uh, in 2003. He went back to the Mets. Didn't do a whole lot. He had a good first season. He had 10 home runs, hit 268, had an OPS plus of 90. But he is the new manager of the Nippon ham fighters so i'm sure you're excited about this he is a longtime hanshin tiger he spent uh, what he came up with the tigers at age 19 and played with them for nine years before he came over to the big leagues and then he went back and he played three more years in japan all three of those with the ham fighters and in uh, Japan, ended up with a 254 career average, 205 home runs, 73 stolen bases. Not a bad player, but I am on board with this signing. During the news conference, and you should you should find some video of this. He came dressed like a yakuza boss from a Bruce Lee movie. Like this nice. dude looked sharp. He was he was he had the, the the lapels and he had them open he had on like this elite not a leisure suit more like a disco kind of suit not traditionally what you think of when you think of a japanese manager my favorite part of this is he told reporters at this press conference that he wants to be addressed as big boss which is also <laughs> this is he's like straight out of there's a there's a video game series called Yakuza, and this is what everybody dresses like, and that is exactly what, you know, the leader of one of the gangs would be called, Big Boss. He even had cards. His business card for the Nippon Ham Fighters actually says Big Boss on it, too. So I am a big fan of Chiyoshi 
Shinju as the new. Shiyoshi Shinju. Yeah, say that one fast five times. Yeah, I, I just gave it my best shot. Another big thing happened this last week. Buster Posey is retiring, yes. which is kind of a shock, especially here in the Bay Area. I know everybody had been talking about, okay, you have to resign him. He's a giant. He's got to be a giant for life. He's the face of this franchise for the last decade. Three World Series. Just uh, an incredible Incredible catcher, player all around, league MVP, rookie of the year, won three World Series, uh, won a batting title. I mean, he's just, he's been a a huge presence for the San Francisco Giants. But he retired, citing some physical injury as well as wanting to be with his family. Everybody here in the Bay Area said, oh, certain Hall of Famer, first ballot Mm -hmm. Hall of Famer. And, you know, I don't know. I could see how he could get in, but I, I don't know that he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. 12 years in the big leagues. He did not play last year. He opted out because of COVID. 1,500 hits even in his career. A 302 average, a 129 OPS plus. Not a lot of black ink. I mentioned the batting title. He also led the league in OPS plus that year as well as sacrifice hits. That was 2012 when he was the MVP. I don't know. What, what what are your thoughts here? Well, he's he's got a solid record. You know, he um, defensively, he uh, definitely fills the bill there. And, you know, he just went over his stats. He's a lifetime 300 hitter. You know, I mean, it, to me, it's he's he's right on the cusp. You know, time will tell. I think he's he is one of those guys. This is one number, though, that I was really impressed with. So in those 12 seasons, Buster played 1,093 games at catcher. That's 9,291 and two-thirds innings. He only had 27 passed balls. Wow. I mean, that's like two and a half per season. That's pretty impressive. That is incredible. That is some really, really good defense right there. So maybe that's what pushes him over the edge. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you could take the Larry Walker route and, and you know, little by little, pick up a little here, a little there. And on year 10, maybe you get in. I'll need to do some reading and some research, having not paid attention to the Giants to see what my thoughts are. I'm not sure I see him as a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I I'm, I suspect he'll get in. I would think so, too. I mean, just the guy is like a, a minor deity in the Bay Area, I noticed when I was down there. Well, uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm glad he's uh, able to get out with his health, and, and hopefully he's happy. He is, uh, I also learned, is a resident of the East Bay, just like I am. So we're probably neighbors. I'm sure maybe I'm sure we live in the same neighborhood. Maybe you guys will start up a softball team together. Yeah, yeah that's a good idea. I'll, I'll get in contact with you. All right, before we get on to trivia, it is time for another Lars Newtbar update. New, new, new. Now, Baseball Reference does not break out the Arizona Fall League stats as well as they do regular season minor league stuff. It's understandable. They they don't. I'm not sure if Lars has played in the last week because I don't remember what his stats were last week. But I do just want to go over them again. Maybe he's played in a game or two. He is tearing it up down there. You can't, you cannot keep a good newt bar down. 15 games, he's hitting 322, 1.142 OPS, 
He has got five home runs, 12 RBI. He's got 19 hits. He is almost in the 15 games in the Arizona Fall League for the Dessert Dogs, which I'm just going to continue calling him that. He has almost (laughs) matched his entire offensive output from the 58 games he appeared in for the Cardinals this year. Very nice. Tearing it up. I can't wait. I can't wait for him to make his first all-star appearance. Uh, I feel like, you know, we'll have something to do with that. Yeah, I've been watching for for baseball cards of his because, of course, we're going to want to collect, you know, Newt Bar cards. He's got like one card ever. So we'll have, I'll keep my eyes open. Well, I'd stock up on that one card because that'll obviously be his very first card and be worth much more. That's right. All right. Let's head into our trivia portion of the show. I asked a question last week, and uh, let's see, Mark, if you could come up with the answer here. Last week, it was about Jordan Alvarez, who I mentioned, known for his quickness on the base pads, hit back-to-back triples, the uh, first one in Game 6 of the ALCS, and then he had another one in the first game of the World Series. My question to you and to our listeners was, who was the last player to hit back-to-back triples in the postseason? Now, Mark, were you able to come up with uh, with an answer here? I most certainly was not. Well, you're not alone. It could be anybody. I mean, these triples are so random. Now, I knew this. I, we had a couple of very easy questions back-to-back weeks, and we got a lot of people responding, a lot of people getting it right. I knew this one was going to be harder, and that sure. was kind of kind of the point. One of our One of our main guys, Chris Cook, came through with an answer that was correct. That's it. He is it. Chris never misses. Well, you know, sometimes he does. But this time he came through. The last time this happened was Ezekiel Carrera for the Toronto Blue Jays in 2016 in the ALCS. Wow. All right. So now I've got another question for you here. We will give you the answer next week. But my question is, who is the only catcher-pitcher battery to hit grand slams in the same game oh that's good so one time both the catcher and the pitcher i'm not going to tell you whether it was a starter or a reliever both hit grand slams in the same game that's a tough one yeah now but before we get into our 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 main segment here i've got other things i want to talk about but i we got to keep it a little brief this week uh, because we've got some good stories and we've got Wax Packs heroes. I do want to talk about the uh, the Golden Days era and the early baseball era ballots are out for the Hall of Fame to be inducted next year. Uh, I do want to talk about that. We'll talk about that maybe next week or sometime here in the very near future because there are some names on there that we've talked about and some other guys that we haven't. And a lot of Negro League, uh, the, the early baseball era is Negro League stuff. So We really want to talk about that because that's the stuff that we like to talk about. One of our favorite subjects. We do want to talk about those because those did just come out today and there's some uh, some very interesting names on that. But uh, we will do that at a later date. So just be on the lookout. One of our one of our favorite uh, subjects for sure. Yeah, we both are. So much great history there. We both love to talk about the Negro League. So we will get back to that. But right now, Mark, it is time for us to uh, get into the dugout. 
I guess, is that what we do when we do Tales from the Dugout? We get deep into the dugout and find some stories that aren't quite long enough to talk about for an entire episode, but uh, are still fun to talk about. I have got two stories today that are both along the same line, so I'm going to go first. Mark, have you ever heard of Hal Chase? Hal Chase, yeah, sounds familiar, but I'm not sure why. I will tell you why. I had never heard okay, of him. Okay, tell me why. I had never heard of him myself, but Hal, or Prince Hal, as he was called sometimes, played for 15 seasons starting in 1905. He spent the bulk of his career with the Yankees at first base. He was a very good hitter, won a batting title in 1916 while he was playing with the Reds. He hit 339. He also led the league in hits that season as well. He had some pop. He led the league in home runs with 17 the year before while he was playing in the Federal League. And that was 1915, by the way, the second and final year of the Federal League. Uh, and that was also the only season in which the Chicago Whales were in the league, the same Chicago Whales that we've talked about that Wrigley Field was originally built for. That has yes. nothing to do with Hal Chase other than he led the league in home runs that year. But anytime I can mention the uh, the whales, I like to do it. Getting back to Chase and, and why I wanted to talk about him, I'm guessing our listeners are familiar with Yasiel Puig, one of the uh, great Cuban players that uh, I think this last two years he has been out of uh, professional baseball. But one of the oddities Puig was prone to was he would get caught licking his bat. Uh, this was often after fouling a ball off, he would full on lick his bat like it was an ice cream cone that was melting. Just a lot of tongue on wood. Now, some players are known for smelling their bats after fouling a ball off because they would like to smell that burnt wood. Yes. Puig apparently liked the taste more than the smell. Well, Hal Chase went a bit further. Hal was famous for not smelling, nor licking, but chewing on his bats. Okay. Now, Hal is a player, not a dog. I'm just, in case you think I'm fooling around, this is straight up for real. Hal was not picky. He would chew on any bat he could get his hands on, which I'm sure made his teammates happy when they would go to pick up their gamer and there are teeth marks all over the handle. I can really relate to this because we have a young shepherd right now that is doing the same thing with stuff all over our house. So I, I feel for his teammates. <laughs> As if chewing on bats was not strange enough, Hal suffered an injury early in his career that would have stopped most weird first basemen who chewed on bats from continuing to do so, but not Hal. One time while sitting on the bench, just gnawing on a bat handle as one does, he ended up with a large splinter embedded so deeply in his tongue that the <laughs> trainer couldn't get it out. He had to leave the game and go to an actual doctor to have it removed. Oh my. <laughs> now, you would think that this might have stopped him from doing this in the future. Well, you would be dead wrong, sir. He continued it throughout his career. Reporters would often ask him what he got from this strange habit, but he would never tell them. Whatever it was, though, it worked for Hal. Hal had a career 291 average with a 112 OPS plus, 941 RBI, and 363 stolen bases. Not bad. Yeah, so all bat chewing aside... Chase was a known gambler as well and had a spotty history of being uninterested in playing baseball some days when he was in the lineup. He was also charged with being one of the early players to discuss throwing the 1919 World Series. 
He was later acquitted on these charges because of some technicalities. So he was never actually... And he was never on the 1919 White Sox, I should mention that as well. But he had thrown around the idea of maybe possibly getting some players together and throwing the World Series. During the inaugural Hall of Fame balloting in 1936, Chase garnered 11 votes. This was more votes than 18 future Hall of Famers, including such greats as Connie Mack, Rube Marquardt, Mordecai Three Finger Brown, Charlie Geringer, and John McGraw. In wow. 1937, he actually received 18 votes, which was more than 32 future Hall of Famers. He was thought of very well in his uh, in his playing days. Babe Ruth called him the best defensive first baseman in the history of baseball. He was thought of as really good defensively. Then I started doing some reading and applying all of the current metrics to his defensive stats. He was actually probably a B-graded first baseman. Like, he was okay, mm-hmm. but he was definitely not a gold glover. Uh, everybody seemed to uh, player wise seemed to like him, but had some some trouble off the field and uh, actually started to tour around Arizona and Mexico with a barnstorming team full of former 1919 White Sox. Huh. He was uh, wow. also tried to start a rogue league, professional league in Mexico. Once Kennesaw Mountain Landis found out about it, he uh, got in contact with some people he knew in the U.S. government, and that was quickly shut down with a uh, phone call, telegraph, whatever, Pony Express to Mexico at that point. Hal Chase, the weirdest first baseman I have found as of yet. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dick Stewart. He's a first baseman for the Pirates. You may have heard of him, late 50s uh, through the 60s, mid-60s. Played for Pittsburgh, a little bit for Boston, and then he bounced around. Uh, the reason I'm, I'm talking about Dick Stewart is because he is known as, you said the, you were talking about the best first baseman defensively. Yep. All right, Dick Stewart was the worst defensive first baseman of all time. He led the league in errors, okay, seven years in a row, from 58 through 64, he led the league in errors as a first baseman. Wow. Okay. Um, he had some great nicknames, Stone Fingers, <laughs> Dr. Strange Glove, and the man with the iron glove. <laughs> Apparently, I could not verify this, but it, his license plate on his car was E3. <laughs> I am kid you not, more than one source said that. It's pretty funny. He had 29 errors at first base in 1963, and that is still, ladies and gentlemen, a major league record. And uh, I found a little something. One night he was, Dick Stewart was playing first base and a a random hot dog wrapper flew by and he reached out and grabbed it. And it was like an amazing play. And the the fans in Pittsburgh gave him a standing ovation for catching the hot dog (laughs) wrapper. Yeah, I wanted to look up and see why would you keep this atrocious defensive first baseman on your team? Well, Dick Stewart could hit a ton. He had uh, from 58, he had 16 home runs in 58. And then he had 27, 23, 35, 16, 42, 33, and 28 home runs, respectively. Led the league in RBIs in 1963 with 118 and total bases with 319. Uh, He used to get MVP votes three different years because he put up such solid uh, numbers. But defensively, whoo, man. You would like rather run the ball from shortstop to first base and try and beat the runner than throw it to this guy. 
Yeah, look at that. His first eight years in the big leagues, he totaled double digits and home runs every yeah. single year. And three years, he had over 100 RBI. Yeah. So, yeah, he had a good stick. I guess you could put up with that as long as you're you're producing. And I do like you did. You mentioned he played in Boston for the Red Sox for two years. Another nickname was the Boston Strangler. <laughs> that makes sense, too. Yeah. Oh, look at that. And I'm also looking, I'm just looking at his baseball reference page here. And they have similarity scores for other players that are had careers similar to him. And I'm looking at some of the names here. Glenn Davis, one of your guys. Uh -huh. Mark yeah. Trumbo. Uh, Travis Hafner, Pronk, who had a very bright career for a couple of seasons and then did not. Crush, Chris Davis who likewise had a yeah. couple of really good years. Yeah, the same uh, same kind of players here as uh, as Mr. Stewart. I like those nicknames. Those are good. I think we I think we had him on the nickname episode once. Yeah, I like Stonefingers. I think that's pretty sweet. All right. Well, uh, I've got one more story here that I want to share that uh, I talked about Hal Chase the beginning here and his uh his love for gnawing on bat. You know, if he were around today, he would totally be on a TLC show. They have uh, those shows that are like uh, strange addictions where people like they eat cotton balls all day. Those yes. kind of things. He would fit right in on that. He would be a reality TV superstar, I think. But <laughs> you may be right. Let's talk about somebody that is in the media still and uh, is rather kind of popular. He was popular as a player and now as a personality on MLB Network. I want to talk about Kevin Millar. Okay. So we go from somebody in the early 1900s to somebody that broke into the league in 1995, if that tells you anything. We've established the, the Hal Chase story that baseball players are weird. They are very particular about their equipment. Hal Chase would chew on bats. Yasiel Puig would lick his. Ricky Henderson was often caught talking to his. Ichiro would carry his around in a violin case like he was a gangster from Chicago in the 40s. And uh, Kevin Millar, well, Kevin Millar tried something else. During the offseason before the 2002 season, Millar went deer hunting with some of his buddies. Now, Millar was born and raised in Southern California, and deer hunting was not something that he had ever done before. After all, what had those defenseless deer ever done to him? Probably nothing. Yeah. Trust me, I'll bring that up again. Uh, well, his buddies told him <laughs> to sprinkle some dough urine on himself to help attract these poor defenseless animals. Well, they weren't exactly clear with their instructions about where to put the urine and exactly how much he should use. So he went ahead and he doused himself in it. To oh, Lord. quote Millar, he was, quote, putting it on like it was Calvin Klein cologne, end quote. <laughs> well, as guys tend to do when drinking, and I'm assuming hunting defenseless animals, bad ideas are formed. Millar thought if deer urine attracted deer, maybe, just maybe, it could also attract hits in the game of baseball. <laughs> totally get it, right? Bodily fluids, deer like it. Why wouldn't it work on baseballs? Yeah. In, you know, inanimate objects tend to often act like sentient beings. So his buddies dared him to put some on his bat. So he kind of had to do it because they dared him. And 
the code. You got to do it. So opening day comes around. Millar has a bottle of dough urine and he douses his bat with it. I'm sure his teammates and bat boys loved this idea. <laughs> did it work? You ask. Did it work? It, no, oh. it, it absolutely did not. Millar took the collar. He went 0 for 3 with a strikeout and the Marlins lost to the Expo 7 to 6. Now, to make matters worse, Millar said he once again put too much on his bat and the smell got really, really bad by the later innings. It also seeped into his batting gloves and got on his hands, which caused them to reek of dough urine and his hands also started to swell up. So if we take nothing else away from this story, we can at least now definitively say that dough urine does indeed not attract baseballs. Well, we've always wondered that. I yeah. didn't know there was already an answer. Yeah, study's been done. Don't need to don't need to worry about it again. But a couple of things I did not know about Kevin Millar as I was doing some reading on this. He was a scab. Oh, he was. He was a replacement player during the 94-95 player strike. And he was in spring training. He crossed the line and I assume that if you ever play a video game, a licensed video game from these years when he was in the in the big leagues, uh, he is not on the team. No pension. Yeah, I did not know that. After retiring in 2010, Millar signed with the then independent St. Paul Saints in 2017, and he was penciled in for a single at bat as a promotional thing to celebrate the Saints 25th anniversary because he had played with them before he crossed the picket line. Oh, I see. So this is the first time that he stood in the box against live pitching in seven years, and he promptly hit a two-run home run. No word on whether he had doused his bat with dough urine or not. I'm going to assume not because he hit the ball. Right, yeah. You would think that dough urine would repel pretty much anything, I'm including a baseball. I, except for maybe deer. Maybe it repels everything but deer. Well, I have two questions, Jeff. One how does one go about collecting dough urine? You can buy it. Uh, yeah, but you, who collects it? Well, I don't know. That one I don't know. But I, I think if you go to any hunting website or a hunting store, they probably, I'm sure, have little squirt bottles or big gallons of it that you can buy. How they collect it, no idea. Okay, my second question is, is there a market in this? Can we make some money? Well, like I said, hunters love this stuff. Uh, baseball <laughs> players, probably not as much. So maybe we could get Kevin Millar to uh, to brand some dough urine. Yeah, I mean, we got to figure out how to collect it. But after that, sure. <laughs> That's the biggest mystery of this all is how do you collect dough urine? Yeah, I mean, they're running around out in the woods real fast. How do you catch up to them? And, you know, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I've got ideas, but I'm not going to bring them up on this podcast. <laughs> All right, so there you go. There is the Tales from the Dugout version number 22, or uno, 21. I don't speak French, man. Uh, that was good, because that was Latin. And that was oh. uh, 21. Tales from the Dugout, number 21. All right, it is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Heroes. 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 Heroes.
before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the Junk Wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, Extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark... With that, which team are you picking? What what year are we doing? We are doing some 1990 Fleers this week. 1990 Fleer, okay. I am going to go with the Minnesota Twins. Well, if I need to pick a natural rival for the Minnesota Twins, whew, I don't know who that is. Who is that? <laughs> I think it's the White Sox, to be honest. But I feel, yeah... Yeah, I feel like that is. I feel like they don't get along. I think they had some beef this year. So uh, I'm going to go with the White Sox as my team this year. Now, if we look at the scoreboard, Mark, you are currently in the lead 7-5. to five. We played a 20 each year. You have won uh, two consecutive championships. Congratulations on that. You're a dynasty in the making. We are going to switch things up a little bit, though. A lot of these packs, as have always been the case since we've started this, have anywhere between 14 to 17 cards in it. And we find that this uh, segment is running very long as we continue to do this. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna make an actual lineup here. Every week when we open these packs, we are going to each pick 10 cards, whether that be the first 10 cards or the final 10 cards of each pack. That'll give us a American League versus American League feel, nine batters and a pitcher, which equals 10. So uh, that is going to be something that we're going to do to try to maybe make this go a little bit faster as that Wax Packs Heroes takes me a long time to edit. It's, it takes me as long as it does to edit the actual portion you know the first portion of the of the show so i have got two packs of 1990 fleers here i've got one in my left hand and one in my right hand which one would you like to have as your own well i've been picking the right and then i picked the right and i got crushed last week so i'm gonna go with the right you're gonna go with the right all right last week uh, to change things up i decided to go first and as you mentioned i crushed you last week so i am going to go ahead and i'm gonna go first again this week all right. So I've got this pack. I'm going to open it up now. We do have to determine before I open it, because I don't want to see the f- card in the back, whether I'm going to take the first or the last 10. And I am going to choose the first 10. So uh, let's open this up. I got my stickers. Let me count. 
All right, so the cards that I am missing out on here, uh, Rick Hennicat, one of my favorite relievers, Ricky Jordan, first baseman for the Phils, Lee Mazzilli, outfielder for the Blue Jays, Spanky, Michael Lavalier, catcher oh. with the uh, Bucks, and oh, El Gasolino, one of our favorites, Juan Berenguer with the Twins. So I am going to miss out on those, but we're going to get started here with my 10 cards all right, I'm leading off. Boy, it's a good thing I chose the uh, the top 10 because I'm leading off with a Hall of Famer, the Wizard of Oz. The great Ozzy Smith. You know, it could have been Ozzy Gian, could have been Roy Oswald, but, you know, it's, it's the actual Wizard of Oz, and he's wearing some spectacular real stirrups, but he does not have his sweatbands. He used to wear those sweatbands with his character on it, but... All right, let's see. 1990 All-Star for Ozzy. That's good. Gold Glove for Ozzy. That's a given. So there's a whole point. Ozzy was 35 years old this year, and he still had six more years left in his career, (laughs) of which he was an All-Star all but one. Incredible. 254, he hit 77 OPS+. Not really much with the stick. One home run, which is about his average. A 50 RBI. He did have 32 stolen bases. And of course, he had that great defense. So I think his war will still be pretty high. Let's see. It is 3.6. He is a Hall of Famer. And I also get that stirrup money, I guess it is. And the gold glove and the all-star. So that is a 5.7 right out of the barrel. Wow. That's a nice little start there for you. Yeah. Do I get extra points because he uh, took over from Mel Allen and hosted uh, This Week in Baseball for, I think it was two years? You have to uh, petition the rules committee on that. Well, I am the rules committee, so I'm going to... Petition yourself. No, I I will not allow that. Next, uh, I have got uh, somebody I believe we've talked about before. It is first baseman here with the Bo Sox. It is Nick Asaski. Asaski, wasn't he a red? He was. Definitely. And I know we've talked about him because I am baffled how he was not nicknamed the Assassin, but he was. Not. Yeah, that is such a great nickname. And I am so proud of it. But no, uh, he spent almost his entire career with Cincinnati, eight years in the big leagues. First six were with Cincinnati. Eighty nine. He was in Boston for one year. And then in 1990, his final year, he was with the Hammers, only appeared in nine games. So I'm not feeling too good about this. That is a minus 0.6 war. He does have real stirrups on, so it'll only be minus 0.5. Now, what's interesting here, 1990, his final year, he only appeared in nine games. In Boston in 89, he got MVP votes. He had such a good season. And then I'm not sure if he got injured or what, but his career ended after nine games in 1990. I'm trying to remember. I thought there was something unique about why he stopped playing baseball. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. He uh, was forced to retire after playing just nine games because he developed an ear infection because of vertigo. Yes. And that prevented him from, from playing again. Nick Kosaski did not help me out. I am at 5.2. My next card is a uh, one of your buddies, Oakland yeah. Athletics uh, pitcher Todd Burns. Uh, you got to love Burnsy, great right-hander out of the bullpen, solid, solid pitcher all those years. Well, let's just see how solid he was in 1990, shall we? 
43 games, he went 3-3 three and three with a 2.97 ERA. That is uh, solid. That is a 124 ERA plus. Let's see, 78 and two-thirds innings, gave up 78 hits, struck out 43, walked 32. Not a great walk-to-strikeout ratio. But uh, 1990, he went to the World Series. Didn't win it, but he did get a ring in 89. 1990, that equates to a war of 0.7. And uh, there is nothing else on this card that is going to help me out. 0.7 for Bernsey. You got to love middle relief setup guys, you know? He was nicknamed the Mad Hatter because he would uh, typically frantically tug on the bill of his cap and readjust it in between each pitch. He would. Also known as the third degree as he had uh, a habit of giving up runs near the end of his career. <laughs> I don't understand that one. Third degree burns. Oh, there you go. Okay, I got it. And I know we've talked about him because he now runs the Todd Burns School of Baseball in Huntsville, Alabama, where I'm guessing he played because the Huntsville Stars used to be the A's double-A team. Yeah, he and his wife, um, when he played in Huntsville, they enjoyed it so much that they moved there permanently. Yep, he played. I'm looking at it. Yeah. All right. So that'll put me at 5.9. Next, we have got pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, who's holding a bat over his shoulder in the dugout here, looking very menacing. Dennis Cook. Oh, yeah. Have we talked about Dennis Cook at all? I don't know. He's not, uh, doesn't look like it according to my, uh, my history here. Wow. Dennis Cook, 15 years in the big leagues. Uh, appeared in 665 games, started 71 in 1990. Boy, he played for a lot of teams. He got traded a lot. 1990, he split the year between the Phillies and the Dodgers. Overall, went 9-4 and four with a 3.92 ERA. Uh, had two complete games, one shutout, and one save. Uh, 64 strikeouts, 56 walks. That's even a worse strikeout-to-walk ratio than Burns. And a 97 ERA+. plus. All of this equates to a war of 0.6. It all adds up, Jeff. It's a positive number. I'll take it. I'm okay. curious. I want to look at his trades because he moved around a lot. Uh, let's see. He was traded uh, for Steve Bedrosian at one point, Darren Fletcher, Bruce Chen, Turk Wendell, Rudy Cienez. So some, some names, Charlie Hayes, some names that are familiar with... Uh, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with, but uh, Dennis Cook had a nice long career. Uh, at one point, was the uh, manager of Team Sweden. Really? Yeah, the Swedish Baseball Association, a, a real powerhouse in the international scene. I can say that because I am Swedish. You know, our, our show is more popular in Norway than Sweden. That is actually false. No, it is not. But we do have listeners. We have garnered many downloads from the uh, Scandinavian region. I know. That always excites me. And we have uh, made the top 10 baseball podcasts in uh, in the Scandinavian region several times. So, hello. That's a fact. You know, you guys should take a, you know, start a GoFundMe and bring us over. Yeah, well, I'm be more I, than happy to visit. We, we are in talks with Ikea to be uh, piped throughout Ikea stores throughout the country. That would be amazing. We'll see how that goes. All right, yeah, next, yeah. Uh, we've got pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. I want to say he went on to be a pitching coach as well, Frank Willis. 
Boy, uh, man, that's one of those name familiar ones, but I really can't think. Huh. So I, w- when we do this, I type in the player's name and generally baseball reference will be the first thing the Google search will bring up. The first thing that came up here was Frank Willis, Wikipedia page. He was a security guard. <laughs> he was a so security was guard him? at the Watergate Hotel in 1972. Oh, so an important security guard. All right. Frank Willis in the big leagues for nine years in 1990 with Toronto went six and four, 4.73 ERA appeared in 44 games pitched in 99 innings, 101 hits given up, struck out 72 and walked 38. That is pretty darn good. 87 ERA plus, And that equates to a war of 0.0. <laughs> also so. not a negative number. So that'll take me to 6.5. Well, it wouldn't take me. It keeps me at 6.5. Next, we've got a pitcher for the uh, Pirates. This is uh, one of those names along with Grant Balfour that is just odd to have as a as a pitcher. It's Bob Walk. Yes, an unfortunate moniker. I think Bob had a long career, though. So He did, yeah. It was, uh, wasn't he a Pirate? Yep, that's mainly where he was. I think he's also an announcer for the Pirates now. 14 years in the big leagues, 10 with the Buccos, 3 in Atlanta, and then 1 in Philadelphia. Actually, he came up with Philadelphia. And, uh, boy, he came in 7th in the Rookie of the Year balloting in 1980 for the Phils. Then he went to Atlanta for three years and then finished his career in Pittsburgh. Was an all-star in 88. In 1990, he went 7-5 and five, a 3.75 ERA. Started 24 games that year. 73 strikeouts, 36 base on balls, a 97 ERA plus. And that equates to a war of positive 0.5. So I'll take that. But yeah, I guess uh, if he came up in 80 with the Phillies, he won a ring that first year. He probably thought, this is easy. I'm going to have a bunch of these. And then never got another <laughs> Probably one. so, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I am at seven even. I've got four cards left here. And this is one of our favorite guys. You can't you, you can't abbreviate home run without an HR. It is first baseman for the Minnesota Twins, Kent Herbeck. The only player in baseball history with HR as his uh, as the first two letters of his first or last or middle name, as far as I know. What about uh, Al Herbowski? How do you spell her? I don't know. I'm looking. (laughs) Yeah. Al Habreski. H-R-A-B-O-S-K-Y. That's what I said. Only besides Al (laughs) Habreski. Well, one's a pitcher and one's one's a hitter. So Herbie, 14 years in the big leagues. Every single swing he took in the big leagues was with the Minnesota Twins. Boy, he, he was on the Twins for some good years. Two World Series titles during that time. 1990. He hit 287, hit 22 home runs, 79 RBI, a 131 OPS plus. I like where this is headed. That is a war of 1.9, but he's on the Twins, which is your team. So yes. I'm going to minus half a point there. That'll only be a positive 1.4. little defense uh, by my guys here. That will bring me up to 8.4. We've covered Herbie several times, so I don't think we'll go into his off-the-field stuff. We will move right on to our next card. It is pitcher for the San Diego Padres, Mark Davis. Mark Davis, didn't he pitch for a long time, too? 
Uh, Mark Davis, 15 years in the big league. So you are absolutely correct. 624 games. Overall, a 51 and 84 mark. So not great, but stuck around for a long time. 1990, he was with the Kansas City Royals. Went 2 and 7 with a 5.11 ERA. That's not looking good. 76 ERA plus 73 Ks, 52 walks. All of that equates to a... Minus 0.4 war. Ouch. And nothing on this card is going to help me out. So that is going the wrong way. Yeah. Well, 19, uh, 1990, just one year removed from winning the Cy Young in 1989. <laughs> Would have been nice wow. if I could have. Uh, <laughs> so close. Yeah. So close. All right. So I'm at eight. I got two cards left here. And this is one of the guys we like to talk about a lot. Here he is with the Yankees. Most people probably think of him with the Blue Jays more, but it is Jesse Barfield. Oh, yeah. One of one of our favorites, the, the man with the uh, rifle arm from right field. Let's see, Jesse Barfield, Jesse Lee Barfield, 17 years in the big leagues, nine with Toronto, and then his final four were in New York. 1990 was his first full year with the Yankees. He, wow, he appeared in 153 games. He was only 30 years old at that point. He only played up till 32. Seemed like he was around forever. Uh, Hit 246. 25 home runs still, 78 RBI, a 127 OPS plus. And of course, a, a gun in the outfield. All of this equates to a war of 5.2. I like it. Wow. Not bad. Uh, so that will take me up to 13.2. These Fleers, they're all just, you know, from the waist up shots. Can't really see much in the wor- in, in terms of sweatbands or stirrups and nobody's wearing any glasses or anything it's uh not a lot of add-ons in this pack all right so i am at 13.2 now and my final card somebody i do not remember he's a catcher for the astros alex trevino yeah alex trevino good he's a solid backup catcher not sure how many years he was there though Let's see, Alex Trevino, if I told you he played 12 years in the big leagues, would you believe me? Um, yeah, I'd believe you. Well, you shouldn't, because he played 13. <laughs> you liar. Yeah, that's me. 13 years in the big leagues, a bunch of teams, the Mets mainly with five years. He was three years in Houston. In 1990, he played for three different teams, his final year in the big leagues. He started with Houston, went to the Mets, and then Cincinnati. Overall... He got in 58 games with three different teams, but only hit 221, one home run, 13 RBI, a 69 OPS plus. I don't like where this is headed. That will take me to a minus two. But uh, that's a, I, I had no idea he played that long. The brother of Bobby Trevino, who played one year with the Angels in 1968. And that was it. Uh, you know, he's, he's a major league catcher. Teams would sign him. Obviously, he, you know, he played for 13 years, so he was, uh, you know, a, a usable backstop and and someone to back up your catcher. And you know what? Guys make a career out of that, and that is that is pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, veteran. I'm sure he handled pitchers well. One of those guys you want uh, you want as your backup. Uh, hmm. Let's see. So Alex joined the Astros broadcasting team in 1996 and called more than 3,000 Astros games. 
Wow. And was inducted into the Houston Baseball Media Wall of Honor in 2014. 24 nice. seasons in the booth as the Spanish broadcaster. That's awesome. Wow. So he had a great career both on uh, on the field and in the in the broadcast booth. But that will do it for my pack. That is, I think that's a pretty strong score for just 10 cards. That's 13 even. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, uh, I, it gives me something to, uh, to shoot for. Yeah, let's see. We're not we're not exactly sure with just 10 cards if that's a good score or not. So before I open your pack here, do you want the first 10 or the last 10 in this pack? I'm going to go with the first 10. First 10. All, right. All right. So players, oh, players you missed out on John Smoltz, oh. <laughs> Kevin Ritz, Alfredo Griffin, Ben McDonald. That might be a rookie card. And Dave Smith. Wow. I think you missed out here. I guess those are some uh, some cards that probably would get you some good points. But let's go ahead and see what you have got. All right. So you're starting out with one of the nasty boys, one of the nastiest of the nasty boys, Rob Dibble. Yes, my least favorite nasty boy. And I didn't really like any of them. I think he was really the biggest nasty boy. In oh, terms yeah, of he was the nastiest being the biggest jerk. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, he only appeared in, uh, well, he was only in the big leagues for seven years. Six of it was with Cincinnati. Then he tried to come back in 95 and split the year between the White Sox and the Brewers. 1990, he was an all-star. That's good for you. Eight and three. That's a lot of wins out of the bullpen. 1.74 ERA, 98 innings. He only gave up 62 hits. Walked wow. 34, struck out 136 for an ERA plus of 229. Kidding me. That is incredible. That is a 4.0 war. You get half a point for being an all-star, so that's 4.5. Uh, and he's got real stirrups on, so that is 4.6 right out of the gate. Well, I dislike Rob Dibble a little less now. You know, we have talked about him quite a bit. He's thrown at runners as they went up the first baseline. He hit people in the stands. I don't think we need to cover that again. But, uh, yeah, Bob Dibble, good card for you. That's I believe he has his us. own show on ESPN Radio, too. Uh, okay, so now you've got a special card here. This will probably help you out because one of them's a Hall of Famer. It oh, is good. a superstar special card called the Boston Igniters. It is Wade Boggs and Mike Greenwell. Oh, wow. Yeah, two guys that could hit the ball. Yeah, so you're going to get totals from both of these guys. Well, that's so, a good card then. Yeah, let's go through these. Uh, we'll try to get this one a little bit quicker. We've talked about Wade Boggs many times. All-star, very nice, 1990, so you'll get half a point for that. Hit 302, probably a down year for him. <laughs> Six home yeah. runs, 63 RBI. A 122 OPS plus led the league in intentional walks with 19. That was the fourth out of six consecutive years that Wade Boggs led the league in consecutive uh, in intentional walks. All of that equates to a war of 3.2. He's a Hall of Famer as well. So that is 4.2. He was an all star. So that is a 4.7 for Wade Boggs. That doubles your score on your second card and uh, is very close to my score already. And uh, Mike Greenwell might put you in the lead already. Let's see, Gator in 1990 was not an all-star. 
but he hit 297 with 14 home runs, 73 RBI, and a 120 OPS plus. That equates to a 2.6 war. Nice. So uh, two cards in, you have already come to within 1.1 of me. You're at 11.9. So I need a bunch of white socks and some negative war here. You need to hope that uh, that the guy I talked about earlier, Dick Stewart, is is one of my cards. So you can get the uh, negatives for all his defense. I don't think he was playing in, in 1990, but we'll see. Uh, yeah. n- next, we have got uh, a half of a legendary pair of comedians. It's John Costello, pitcher for the Cardinals. <laughs> I don't remember much about John Costello. Well, he's in the Hall of Fame uh, for his who's on first bit. Of course. With his uh, partner, Stu, uh, Stu Abbott. <laughs> Stu Abbott. Uh, let's see. 1990, uh, he split time between St. Louis and Montreal. None of it was good. In yeah. eight games, a 5.91 ERA, 68 ERA plus. And when we punch that into the old war machine, that's a minus 0.3. And there's uh, nothing on this card that's going to help you. So that helps. See, there you go. It's just going to be a string of negatives now. All right. Next, we get a member of the Cleveland Cleveland Guardians. It is outfielder Brad Kaminsk. Brad Kaminsk. Yes. Uh, he's Kaminsk got some, with a K. Yeah. He's, well, you're going to like it. He's got real stirrups and he's got eye black on. So that's a positive two tenths nice. right out of the right out of the box. Uh, Brad Kaminsk, well, wasn't he name-checked in Seinfeld uh, in the song uh, from the uh, Rochelle Rochelle musical? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure. From What was it? From something to Minsk? Minsk. <laughs> from Milan, Milan to Minsk. <laughs> to Kaminsk is, is the actual, yeah. They, they changed it because of copyright uh, issues uh, during the episode. But, uh, 1990, he split time between the Giants and the Orioles. He had an eight-year career. Bounced around a lot, finished his career in 91 in Oakland. But in 1990, hit 236, three home runs, eight RBI. That's a 99 OPS plus. So uh, still right on uh, par with the rest of the league. And that equates to a war of positive 0.7. Plus you get two tenths of a point for the eye black and the stirrups. So that's a 0.9 from wow. Brad Kaminsk. Notice that uh, in eight years, he played for nine different teams. Is that right? Yeah, he he got around quite a bit. Uh, Hank Aaron described him as a can't-miss prospect and compared him with Andre Dawson. <laughs> can't miss, huh? Okay. Atlanta even rejected a trade from the Red Sox that would have uh, garnered them Jim Rice in replace uh, in uh in return for Kaminsk. Wow. Wow. He was very highly thought of. Was a roommate with Tom Glavin in the minors. Wow. I I, I remember him, but I just, I, I did not know that he was that big of a prospect and just never, never panned out. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall that either. I mean, I remember, I remember watching him play. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. All right, so you are at 12.5. Again, just a reminder, I finished up with 13 even. Your next card is going to be a good one for you. Well, let's see. In 1990, you've got Doc Gooden. Ah. So let's see. In 1990, yep, he was still good. 
<laughs> he was still Pretty very good. good. 19 and 7 mark, 3.83 ERA in 34 games. Struck out 223 batters in 232 and two thirds innings. Walked 70 and uh, had a FIP of 2.44 to lead the majors in that category. And also, wow, he did not give up home runs. He only gave up 10 home runs in 23 and two thirds innings. 232, yeah. 232, yeah. That is a very good. All of that will equate to a war of 2.5. He does have real stirrups on as well, so that's plus 2.6. And that will blow right past me. You're now at 15.1. Wow. And you've still got a couple of cards left. Uh, your next card is uh, outfielder for the Orioles, Phil Bradley. Well, Bradley was a, was a Mariner at one point, too. Yeah, I definitely remember him with, uh, I remember him with the Orioles, but I remember him with the Mariners as well. Also played for the Phillies and the White Sox during his eight-year career. 1990 was his final year in the big leagues. He split it between Baltimore and the White Sox. Darn it, he's not pictured with the White Sox because I could have used that that help there. Between those two teams, uh, appeared in 117 games. Hit 256, had four home runs, 31 RBI, stole 17 bases in his final year in the big leagues, and led the league with hit by pitch with 11. Mike Zanino can get 11 hit by pitches in, in one game. And uh, either uh, 11 home runs or 11 strikeouts as well. <laughs> That's right. All of that equates to a positive 0.6 for Phil Bradley. Nothing else on this card is going to help you out, but you're still going in the right direction. You're just padding your lead at this point, rubbing it in. Yes, we're, we're not pulling back at all, Jeff. You're we're, sending we're runners from second on uh, on singles the other, you know, to right field. You're just, you're not pulling up. Sorry about that, but that's the way we play. That's okay. Uh, you're going to eat one in the box here pretty soon. All right, next you've got a member of the White Sox, so you're starting off at a minus 0.5 here. It is pitcher Ken Patterson. Uh, isn't he the author of the uh, Alex Cross books? No, he is the guy that uh, he was a boxer. Floyd. Well, apparently he played baseball as well. Seven years in the big leagues. Most of it was with the White Sox. Also spent two years in uh, the uh, California Angels. And uh, one with the Cubs in 1990 with the White Sox. He appeared in 43 games. Had two and one mark with a 3.39 ERA, a 114 ERA plus 40 Ks, 34 walks. Boy, a lot of these guys out oh. of the pen today, man, are just don't have great strikeout to walk ratios. But uh, let's see, that he still equates to a positive 0.6. Now he is on the White Sox, so I'm going to knock half of that, half a point, or uh, going to knock 0.5 off of that. So you're only going to get a positive 0.1. Well, I'll take it. Yeah, you're still just blowing me away. So Something interesting here in 91, which is the, the season following the one we're using, Ken Patterson actually walked 35 batters and struck out 32. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's kind of rough. All right. Let's see. You have got uh, three cards left. You are currently 2.8 points ahead of me. Next, you have got outfielder for the New York Yankees. It is Roberto Kelly. Roberto Kelly. Yeah, uh, solid center fielder. You know, he could hit, he could run. 
Yeah, I all remember around good ball player. Roberto Kelly really stuck around for a long time. 14 years in the big leagues. One of those guys easier to name teams he didn't play for than the teams that he did play for. He came up with the Yankees in 1990, played in all 162 games for the team. He hit 285, 15 home runs, 61 RBI, 42 stolen bases, and a 106 OPS plus. All of that equates to a war of 5.5. Wow. You're right. We're not letting up. My goodness. No, that's uh, you just hit a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch right there. <laughs> and the uh, <laughs> the traditionalists are going crazy and calling for your head. But uh, Stood at the plate and pounded our chest. Yeah, too. we appreciated the bat flip, though. We're, we're that kind of uh, podcast here. Uh, Roberto Kelly, I think he was he's been mentioned a lot as a as a manager. I just don't think he's gotten the the chance in the big leagues. He's managed in the Mexican League several times. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him manage sometime in the big leagues. Oh, his days playing in Panama, he was nicknamed La Sombra, which is Spanish for shadow. Ooh, the shadow nose. Yes. All right, next you have got a guy that is uh, one of my favorites, especially growing up here in uh, going to A's games, is Dwayne Murphy here with the Phillies. All right, so Dwayne Murphy, uh, no surprise here, in his 12 years spent 10 in Oakland. Was part of that outfield with Tony Armas and Ricky Henderson in the early 80s. In 1990, this is good news for me because he retired after the 89 season. So you're not going to be able to add on any more points from this uh, <laughs> from this card. Uh, let's see. Uh, lifetime 246 average, which is a 115 OPS plus career-wise. Stole 100 bases even. And his career war total was 33.3. Won a gold glove five consecutive years as a center fielder in the early 80s for the Oakland A's. Wow. Well, I don't remember him being as good as he was. <laughs> We've mentioned this before. He was uh, one of the players, of which Ricky was as well, that helped fund then vice president of baseball operations for the A's, uh, a young MC Hammer, his first label, Busted Records. That's right, yes. And uh, all I can say is, please, Hammer, don't hurt him. Uh, so you got nothing there, but you're at 21.3. You've got one card left. Unless this player has a minus, let's see, a, a minus eight war, I have no shot. And also plays for the White Sox. And I don't think either of those are true. It's none other than Kevin Brown here with the Rangers. That, that, that could equate well for me. So he was only 25. This was his second full year in the big leagues. He went 12 and 10. The Rangers were not very good at this point. 3.6 ERA. Uh, only struck out 88 in 180 innings, which no. that's very un-Kevin Brown-like if you look on later in his career. All of this equates to a war of positive 2.1. Wow. Uh, you destroyed me. Yeah, that was kind of rude, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit offended. All right, so that will bring your uh, final score to 23.4. You've absolutely blown me away, and you have uh, ticked another one in the win column for yourself. You're now up to eight. I am still at five, and uh, congratulations, sir. That was a rear-end kicking. Uh, what, what can we say? Uh, 
we uh, just had everything kind of fall our, our direction. Yep. Everything was going your way today. Well, that's going to wrap up another edition of Wax Packs Heroes. That's also going to start to wrap up the show. We'd like to thank everybody for listening once again. If you cannot get enough of us, you can find us all over the internet. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O. Strike Noise. Twitter, Instagram, all the other ones. YouTube, Twitch, all those things. We're there. Mark, we also have an email address. Yeah, you can write to us at uh, two strike noise, spell it out, TWO, strike noise at gmail.com. We answer every email. So go ahead and write to us. Yeah. Also, let us know if you know what the answer to our trivia question is this week, or if you just want to chat, we are happy to do so. All right, Mark, I know we will be back next week because we already have plans. Until then, we will see you on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 